morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth and we have just celebrated the coming of the Christ child into the world. Now, what do we do? It's the right time to ask ourselves, what is the importance of that event? What does it mean for me? And how do I live my life in response to what has just happened? Well, I wanna invite you to join this amazing church family and this safe place to explore your faith as we are asking the same questions. So come on in. Our first scripture reading is from Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are reading Luke's account of the baptism of Christ. We are in chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. I invite you to listen again with fresh ears. As people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, this is John the Baptist, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. 
Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week I had a rare opportunity to join in the baptism of a church member of another congregation. Now my younger daughter, Abby, has a friend, Abby, who was being baptized at First Presbyterian. And I usually don't have the opportunity due to the standing Sunday morning gig that I have. But this was on a Wednesday night at six o'clock in the chapel at First Baptist. Jimmy Elder, a mentor and a friend, um, was doing that baptism. And we were invited uh, again as friends of this youth-aged young lady who was being baptized. So we were all there, it was great. Um, youth pastor was there, a lot of the youth were there, different representational members of the congregation, friends and family. Uh, really nice, really nice uh, moment. So there were two youth that were being baptized, um, my daughter's friend and then another young man. So um, our first friend baptized, beautiful, wonderful. And yes, it's immersion and it's in their chapel, which obviously is a smaller version of the bigger sanctuary. Um, and it looks very much like our chapel, except that in the front and underneath the cross, um, coming out about a, a foot or two from the wall, um, is the baptismal pool for immersion. That is going fully under the water, coming back up. So again, uh, my daughter's friend went through uh, under up. Uh, we'll talk about that symbolism in a minute. Uh, and then the second young man uh, came through and he has a brother who is uniquely abled and was not able to be baptized and immersed in the same way that his brother was. Same uh, rough, he's a youth of youth age, brothers of that same age. And they did something really special, I thought. So when the, the brother, the young man, uh, went to, into the font, then the mother and father with this uniquely abled brother came to the front of where the font was and you can reach over that lip. And so the young man in the font, in the pool, reaches hand out, his brother took his hand as he went down and came back up. And then Jimmy, the pastor took some water and sprinkled it on his brother. It was a special and unique moment. There was even one moment when the young man went up and was trying to climb up and into the font himself. And I thought how we should all be as excited about baptism as this young man is. Jimmy also said, after he knew I was there, we are a sprinkle people, not an immersion, although we can immerse and they can sprinkle. He said, you've seen the rare Baptist sprinkling. So I hope you enjoyed it. I said, was that for my benefit of the Presbyterian in the crowd? But it was a special consideration for a special family altogether. So the meaning of baptism is thick and strong, and that's where we live today. We have just come through Epiphany last week. Vicki brought that up, that time where we finally celebrate that the wise men, the magi, the three, the kings were led to find the baby Jesus 
Um, after being born sometime after, the, the wise of the Magi were not at the manger scene, but found Christ later from the star. And so that's what we celebrated last week, and we move in today in our church calendar. The week after Epiphany is always the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And that's fascinating because we go from Jesus as an infant to Jesus entering his own baptism, which we mark as one of the beginning points of his ministry. This is where he starts immediately after he goes and his ministry begins. We know the one story that we are told with Jesus who is 12-ish and when his family goes uh, to Jerusalem for one of the festival days where they're required to be there, family, the whole caravan from Nazareth uh, goes and where, where's Jesus? You have Jesus? I don't have Jesus. Do you have Jesus? I don't know where Jesus is. And they turn around, they go back and they find Jesus in the temple with the rabbis. And he says, they said, where have you been? He said, you should have known I would be in my father's house. Boom. Kids a little different. So that's the only story we know between infancy and adulthood. And so Jesus is coming on. Here we have John the Baptist, who we talked a lot about during Advent, who was the one seen to come prior to the Messiah. Said it in our passage today. They were thinking he might be the Messiah. Is this the guy? He's baptizing. He's making claims about this relationship with God. Things are happening here, and John the Baptist had his own set of disciples before Jesus came. Is this the guy? John says, no. He said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with fire and spirit. And that is positive fire, by the way. He is coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's coming. And so the very next scene, we see Jesus as he comes. Remember, John the Baptist and Jesus were somewhat related, we believe, cousins, distant. So how they knew each other growing up, we don't know. Maybe they were separated. Maybe they were like brothers. We're not sure. But Jesus comes to the scene, and Luke tells us, and Luke is different. This is in all four Gospels, the baptism narrative but Luke's is a little different than the other three. Because Luke starts and says, now when all had been baptized and when Jesus had been baptized, so all of that has happened. We don't get a descriptive account of, Jesus, uh, of John pouring the water over Jesus' head and Jesus going down and up and the spirit. It's after Jesus was baptized, he went, he prayed. I'm sorry, those are the words, he prayed. We don't know if he was standing there in John's presence and it was a, a powerful moment and so he stopped to give thanks and be present with God. It could have been right in that moment or it could have been that Jesus had, pray, had been baptized and then went off to pray, which is some of the model he gives us later on in his ministry when people are coming at him, heal me, heal me, teach me, teach me, do something miraculous. Those who were, would take his life were coming at him trying to catch him, trap him, all of that stuff surrounded Jesus all of his three years in this earthly life as an adult. But he often broke away to went to go and pray alone or sought to do that. That's a model. So the first thing I want us to think about today is prayer. 
When we as Christians think about what it means to be a Christian, prayer is at the heart of that. I think no matter how far we get in our faith journey and our depth of relationship with Christ, we never get too far beyond the basics. Prayer, the reading of scripture, serving of others, worship, all of those pieces. Prayer is at the heart of that. And prayer is a difficult challenge for all of us. Often our words are inadequate. We don't feel the connectedness we want to feel with God through prayer. Sometimes we're just not sure what to say, do, feel, or believe. So we give up. But prayer, like anything else, is a discipline. If you decide you want to play the bagpipes and you pick them up and you start wailing on that thing, just because you want to know how to do that and do it well, does that mean the first time you pick it up and you know how to do it? Well, of course not. It's a discipline you have to learn and practice and grow. Like working out. I'm gonna go lift 500 pounds, do bench press at the gym. Not a problem. Visit me at the hospital. I want to be strong. But do you start that? No, of course not. You start in baby steps and you take incremental steps forward. You build on what you experience and know, and that's how you continue to grow. Our faith is no different. Don't let prayer be one of those things that you shut down because you don't get it or you haven't really been able to get to that point. One of the most amazing things about prayer is that we have access to God. Think about that. God who created the heavens and the earth, God who created the mountains and the seas, created all of us as God's own, is there when you are in your home or in worship or your car and you say, God, I need your help, or God, thank you for this, or God, this, or God, that. Think about that. The God of wonder and majesty and power and light, whose ways are not our ways, whose whose our little brains are insufficient to fully comprehend who and even what God is, is there to listen to you when you ask. That is unbelievable and phenomenal, so much that I, sometimes I think we have a hard time believing it. But a part of prayer is knowing that we are in the presence of God, that we have access to God. And that is to be celebrated before we say word one. Thank you, Lord. Jesus teaches us again and again how important prayer is. And if you are, whether you feel comfortable with your prayer life or not at all, we are always called to find new ways to pray, to find new ways to be led by God's spirit, to make connections so that we grow. How many of us, I'll point to myself, have gone to bed, put your head on the pillow. Dear God, thank you for, you wake up in the morning, what, what, did, did I finish? I didn't, I'm sorry. Would friends of ours be insulted if we fell asleep in the middle of our conversation with them at lunch or having conversation or coffee? I'm used to that, but most people are not. That's not okay. And if that's how things are rolling and that's where our prayer life is, then we need to be a little bit more deliberate. Like you make time to work out, like you make time to practice your musical instruments, you take time to eat healthy if that's where your focus is. We have to take time to sit and to pray and spend some time with God. 
And there are a million ways to pray. We often get stuck because our own words that we say again and again and again, which are beautiful and acceptable to God, but we need to step out and try some new things, some new ways, some new methods. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray a body prayer, a breath prayer. You can pray using words. You can use uh, what they call Lectio Divina, which is reading a Bible passage. And this is a rough understanding. You read it three times and you pick out some words, you circle, you underline, you write them down, and then you write a prayer with those words. What's, how's God speaking to you through God's word? If you're a visual person like I am, a Visio Divina, maybe you find a piece of artwork or a picture from the news, something that draws your attention that you can focus on and in the same way, communicate with God through this observation of a visual stimulus. Books, movies, songs, people, all kinds of things can lead you to new prayer with God. Even if you're okay with where you are, it's time in this new year to push yourselves to find some new ways to connect with God and some different ways to pray. Come talk to us, that's why we're here. We are all about helping you do that. So the first thing is prayer. The second thing is that God seeks an intimate relationship with all of us, which sometimes I think we still have a hard time believing. God here uses the words when Christ is praying and only then in Luke's account, that's when the heavens open, the spirit descended in bodily form, Luke says. This isn't some metaphorical something, maybe it was like a, a no, it says in bodily form like a dove. The spirit in tangible form came down and united, rested with Christ. That's amazing. But then the voice came, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, my beloved with whom I am well pleased. God will speak again in this way at the transfiguration when they're on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John. He says, this is my son, listen to him. That was for the disciples and for all of us, current disciples. But here it is this intimate conversation and Jesus teaches us to pray. We get some help from Christ, the rabbi, the teacher. Abba, Father, in the Lord's Prayer. Abba. It is an intimate term that the Hebrew is more rightly translated daddy than even father. Something intimate. My younger daughter, Abigail, is based on that same word, Abba. Abba, Gail, Abba, Father which the translation and, and Hebrew has many translations. It is more of an art form than an exact science is my father is joy. And of course I fulfill that for her, but that's not the point. The point is not me. It is her father, her parent in heaven is joy. And I want her to experience that and live her life knowing that it is an intimate connection between God and Jesus, and we are told and taught and shown that God wants the same relationship from each of us. Intimate in our hearts, not separated, but close. And then the last thing, so prayer, find some new ways to pray, find some new ways to connect with God in this new year. It is time for us to grow and to grow together. The Spirit wants that and is ready and filling us as we speak. 
Then number two, the intimacy that God knows us and loves us. And then third, if you were watching over the break, you'll saw that Archbishop Desmond Tutu died December 26th this year, this past year, this past Christmas. The pastor, uh, the, the, the Bishop Emeritus of the Anglican Church in South Africa, someone that had a powerful presence in ministry throughout his life. A lot of that was based on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which happened in the early 90s, right after the abolition of um, apartheid. The structure where the majority uh, um, of blacks were put under the rule of a minority of whites and the systemic racism that was built in to that system. So after that had broken, they had what they call the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and Desmond Tutu led that process. And if you remember as I do, one of the most vivid pictures was of him with his head down on the table listening to the accounts of the horrors that had happened in that time period. They had given immunity for all of those who had perpetrated crimes, mostly white against black South Africans in the horrendous way that they were treated, including murder, torture, death, other things. They thought the only way to move forward was to have them come and tell their stories that everyone would know what had been done so then forgiveness could be worked on and the country could collectively move forward. That's what these were about, Tutu led that and they were horrible and difficult but necessary. I had always seen Desmond Tutu as a kind of Yoda character. Yoda, little, kind of cute. They both had that great laugh that endeared them to you but they had such power from within. And Tutu had that power to anyone who sat with him or if you listened to him. So there was an interview in 2010 from a radio host whose name is Krista Tippett. And she works with an organization called onebeing.org of which I know nothing about. But I read this interview, the transcript of the interview wanted to bring this piece in light of our conversation. She was, at that time, uh, Desmond Tutu was working for the Southern Council of Churches and was pastoring a small congregation in Soweto, near there in South Africa. And he was telling her that most of his congregation were made up of domestic servants, domestic workers, which are not slaves, but they were workers. And one thing he noticed right away is the way that they felt so dejected and so... Uh, uh, um, unconnected to dignity. And a part of that is because those whom they worked for would not call them by their given names. Often their white employers would look at their African names and think that is too long. I'm not gonna spend my time worrying about that. So they called all the female workers Annie and all of the male black workers boy. Dehumanizing in a variety of ways. And he said, the first time he told them that when they ask you who you are, you tell them that I am a child of God, that God is within me and I am a God bearer, a God carrier. 
He said he noticed their ability to physically stand taller and to communicate even within their own hearts that they are special, called and loved as we all are. Today, we are being called to be God bearers through this baptism of Christ, which is an example of what we are all sought, what we are all being called to experience. Christ prayed in his baptism, we are called to pray. There is uh, an intimate relationship between God and Jesus. There is an intimate relationship between God, Jesus, the spirit, and all of us as individuals and collectively as the body of Christ. And we are being called to be God bearers in a world that has to hear it and see it and know it and feel it and connect with it. And we are part of the means of that process of God's will. Baptism means we will never be separated from God, no matter what you're going through. And some of you are going through horrible things. Did you hear what God said through Isaiah? You will not be alone in the flood. You will not be alone in the fire. I will be with you no matter what. You may feel alone. You may feel absolutely broken, but Christ was born into a broken world, into our flesh and blood, which means brokenness. Christ didn't need to be baptized. He didn't have anything to forgive as far as his sinful nature. But he said, I am like them. I am born into this brokenness and I will live it. And I will seek to hold them and love them and heal them if they but come to me. So as this was Christ's then call to move on and begin his ministry, we are called in the new year to be new disciples, to be new servants, to renew ourselves and to follow the call that Christ has placed on our hearts.